Well, greetings, everyone. Well, it's a glorious winter day outside, but uh, even though it's cold, it seems especially warm inside from the love of the brethren. So it's especially good to be here on such a pleasant winter's day. You know, peace is good. You heard a comment about peace in the opening prayer. I hope your life is peaceful in these days, both spiritually and physically, because for it to be that way is such a great blessing. I know some of us are going through some difficult trials, and I know, having been through a few myself, that after you've been through them, and you then you have sort of a period of peace, then it's wonderful after to be able to go back to that peaceful state. It can seem that in turbulent times, God's peace is certainly a great blessing. Turn, if you would, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read this from the King James Version. God says that we are to pray for peace, to pray for peace for ourselves and for others. Paul begins, I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's for everyone, not just for ourselves. We do pray for each other, but we are to pray for all. For kings. Well, I suppose that may may be our song leader's favorite scripture, Mr. Dillon King. He may want us praying for the kings, but it's not just for them. This is for rulers. It says, for all that are in authority that we may lead quiet and peaceable, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. A quiet and peaceable life. In our faith, we reject violence. In our faith, we reject violence. That's something of the adversary, and God's way is one of peace. I hope that most of us are able to live quiet and peaceable lives most of the time, but we are constantly aware of the violence of this age. It goes on all the time. We read in the paper we have local violent crime going on. Maybe you know someone that's been a victim of that. Terrorism is not only abroad in places in the Middle East, but we have terrorism here in this country as well. We hear of constant wars. If one's getting over, another one is starting up. Even random things like an automobile accident. You worry about that. It can come upon you as, as a sudden thing. Coming over here um, today, we stopped at a red light and was waiting on the red light to change in a couple of lanes of traffic, and there was a fellow just blowing his horn behind us. I couldn't see whether anyone was coming, and he was furious that we weren't turning on red. When I was finally able to see, we were able to turn and come. But he went down the road a ways, blowing his horn, so angry about the fact that we wouldn't turn right on red when I couldn't see around the car next to me. So you never know. It just seems like anger, rage, violence is never very far away from you. How would you deal with a violent situation? I know we don't like to think about that, but perhaps we do think about it sometimes. How would you deal with a violent situation? Well, there is spiritual peace, which I hope you have, I think you do, but there's physical peace as well. They are not the same thing. You can have one without the other. For instance, someone can have a spiritual attack when they are quite safe physically, and someone can have 
a physical attack when they are at peace spiritually. Many in the world are going through that. Just look at the world of Syria or Iran or Iraq. We hear about shooters, people that come into buildings and shoot people. How about that? How about the shooters in churches here and abroad and in the Middle East? Well, I've been asked to speak on this subject today. It's a split sermon, so it's going to be shorter than usual. But I've been given this assignment. It's a sort of a tricky one uh, to do as well. It's uh, a sobering subject, but it's one that we need to deal with as part of our services today. And God's people have a sure hope of peace the Church of God is subject to both spiritual and physical attacks. Uh, and today I would like to talk a little bit here about both times because the Bible deals with both subjects. In many ways, spiritual warfare and physical warfare are alike. The Bible uses physical warfare, physical conflict, to uh, teach us about the spiritual warfare that is going on all the time. Spiritual conflict causes physical conflict in God's view and our view as well. And then after talking about that some, I would like to discuss some of the tools for dealing with both kinds. This is not going to be covered comprehensively today, but when we leave here today, hopefully we will have some tools for our defense, both physically and spiritually. So the title of this split sermon today is Dealing with both physical and spiritual perils. So point number one, turn please to John chapter 16, John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. This world is full of hatred, a world that is simply filled with hatred. It's always had a special hatred for God's church coming down through the ages, through the millennia and the centuries. And the primary reasons for that, of course, are spiritual. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of their synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Let's take a moment and analyze the scripture a little bit. Put you out of their synagogues. Well, you know, in an important sense, that has happened uh, in our lives and in our times today. There are many people in what we would call Orthodox Christianity, that's little o as opposed to capital O, which means the um, Eastern Orthodox Church, but Orthodox Christianity, characterized by a little o, is main, what we call mainstream uh, Christianity, and many of them simply do not consider us to be Christians, uh, or at least not in the same sense that they are Christians. Just mention that in saying so, they not only judge us, they judge themselves as well. Sometimes we're referred to as non-Christian or a non-Christian cult. Well, the non-bigoted term for that is non-Orthodox Christianity that we don't consider ourselves to be part of Orthodox Christianity. That is certainly true. But there is a reason for their special hatred for our faith, and there are some who indeed do hate. I read back in John chapter 16, verse 2, yes, 
The time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. Why? Why is that? Verse 3. And these things they will do to you because, because they have not known the Father or me. You know, that's happened down through history. Centuries and centuries of this has been going on. Brethren of ours who were considered to have been heretics, perhaps have been beheaded or even burned at the stake. We don't expect it to have to happen again anytime soon to us. God forbid such a thing. But we should be wise when we watch and see the times. We should be wise when we watch. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 23. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 23. Here's another reason. You are set apart. You are set apart as holy to God. Just the fact that you are here today keeping God's holy time holy sets you apart from your entire community. And God said that it would. You are set apart because you are not of this world. Verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. You know, people in the world, the world loves its own. You're part of the club. You're there. But when you are not in their system, when you are not part of what they're doing, they just seem to sense it sometimes and treat you accordingly. Or at least some people do. Of course, not everyone. Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Well, no one hates God's church more than the adversary. It's Satan the accuser, who is the origin of both the physical and the spiritual attacks on God's church. And when Christ speaks of the world hating, he's talking about the world as a whole system. Obviously, many of us have wonderful neighbors, wonderful friends, family members. They don't hate the church. I'm not saying that certainly everyone does. But the world and this whole system, Satan is the god of this age, and he moves it against God's church. But Satan is the origin of both the physical and spiritual attacks on God's church. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9. The times described in this scripture may not be here yet, but we should be aware that they will come. These times will come. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know, he's... Referring to the people there, he's talking to the people of his day, but he's talking to the people at the end time as well. It's interesting, what's the most hated nation on earth? Israel. God says also that they will turn against his church as well. So to summarize point number one, the violence of this world is spiritual in origin, and the violence against the church throughout the ages Throughout the centuries has been spiritual in origin. The adversary is the God of this world, and 
when he knows his time is short, he is going to be really aggressive. And he's going to begin a powerful attack. We know that's coming in the future. The church has talked about this for a long time. So we need to be prepared physically and spiritually for it. And point number two, point number two, there are some defensive things that we should know as a congregation, some defensive things that we should know. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 3, this is a wise proverb, one that's a good one to remember all the time. It says, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and is punished. And that's a good lesson for life. I mean, we should always plan ahead. We should look down the road and we see a problem coming. We see evil coming upon us or some difficulty. We plan. We avoid it. We take a different path. We do something about it, even hiding ourselves so that it doesn't come upon us. But we are to foresee these things, and that's what a prudent person does. On November 28 of this year, several of us from headquarters went to a a very special and very interesting seminar put on by the Charlotte Mecklenburg's Police Department. It was in a large auditorium at the police academy. The thing was really almost as big as this auditorium here. It was in two sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And yet that thing was full, almost full both times. Not with people from our church, from people of all faiths, whether from uh, Jewish synagogues, from Sunday-keeping churches. There were um, hundreds of people there uh, watching this and listening to the instruction by the police department. The title of it was the House of Worship Safety Seminar. It was put on for Charlotte area religious groups and quite a few people there. We all found it extremely interesting. The purpose was to educate local faiths, churches, synagogues, whatever it was, on what to do in a situation where there is something called an active shooter, an active shooter. The local police will literally come to a congregation like this and put on a presentation. We didn't think that was appropriate, but we did think it would be good for us to just go over some of the high points and things that we saw there. An active shooter is defined as someone that's actively shooting in a place. It's not like a situation where you have a, a drug deal that goes bad and one bad guy shoots another bad guy or a bar brawl where someone gets shot or in, in a situation like that. Rather, this is where multiple shots are being going on at multiple people. How someone responds in such a situation is important. How we respond is important. The police have changed their minds about this. They've changed their minds about what people should do in response to this situation. Very interesting. Let me first give you some statistics before going into what they said. Between 2000 and 2015, according to the police department, there were 200 such events in the U.S. in that 15-year period. In that time, 578 people were killed and 696 people were wounded. That's an average of about 38 a year. You read these little squibs in the newspaper, oh, there was a shooting at this place of work or a shooting at that restaurant or a shooting in the mall or something like that. And, you know, they add up to an awful lot of people. Of course, that's very small when compared to the 17,000 total murders in the United States. There's just huge numbers of people are murdered annually. It's only 
three or four percent of that total were actually an active shooter thing. So it's not a major category. But of the active shooter murders, only about four percent of those were in houses of worship. So it's not a huge, big thing, but there's worry that it could um, uh, get to be more. 44% of active shooters were in businesses. 4% versus 44%. You're 10 times safer here than you are going to work. So maybe we should have a church of seven days a week. Maybe that would be a good idea. Nobody go to work. But we, we do not shrink back from attending church because of this. We come here, and frankly, we're quite safe here, and I'm quite confident of that. But the trend of this type of shooting, very sadly, is increasing. The trend line is going up 16% a year over the last 15 years. Not good. So it's a good idea, then, to learn some of the things about it. Tragically, the Living Church of God has experienced such an event about a decade ago. I know many of you remember, we, uh, many people here have um, uh, friends um, who were killed or injured in Brookfield, Wisconsin, on March 12, 2005. A shooter went into our congregation there and killed seven people and wounded four people of members of our church. This person was a member of the congregation. He suffered from mood swings, had been um, uh, very um, uh, depressed in the months leading up to the incident and just came in and did a very terrible thing that day before taking his own life. We have another situation not far from that in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, at a Sikh temple. You know, Sikhs are not Muslims. It's a separate religion. And the fellow went in there, apparently a racist or some kind of bigot or something, thought he was shooting Muslims, went into a Sikh uh, temple and killed nine, uh, rather six people, and four were wounded. At Emmanuel AME Church down in Charleston, many of you remember that, it's very, very recently, nine were killed and one were wounded by a racist killer. And then very recently at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, this is just in November, last month, a little over a month ago, 26 people were killed, 20 wounded. And I think that was the event that set off the police concern about this and all the area area, um, people as well. This was a First Baptist Church is where this took place in shot by an atheist in that situation. I want to emphasize for our churches there are no guns on church property. We do not allow that. We do not allow them at headquarters. We do not allow them in the parking lot at headquarters. We do not allow them here. We do not allow them in the parking lot when we are here. Police or security personnel may have them, but we have a zero-tolerance policy about guns at church operations and functions, not inside not outside. Now, when we saw this, this uh, presentation by really an excellent police officer, uh, had wonderful command of the subject, here's something that they said. Let me read this. Even when law enforcement was present or able to respond within minutes, 
Civilians often had to make life and death decisions and therefore should be engaged in training and discussions on the decisions they may face. So that's what I've been asked to uh, do here today. So what follows are some things that we should know as a congregation from the police presentation. If, God forbid, such an event were to happen here or in one of our congregations or, frankly, where you work, where you shop, where you uh, have entertainment. And these points, as I said, are valid not only for church, but anywhere that you happen to be. I mentioned the police have changed their minds about some things. The old mindset of the police, and they said it. They said this themselves. He said the old mindset. I said, oh, boy, let's find out what that means. But he said that when they have an active shooter situation, the first thing they would do is surround, then contain, then treat the injured, and call the SWAT team and wait. Not so good when there's something ongoing. And people were outraged uh, by this because they would not, the police would not go inside a situation like that at a university and some schools and things like that where these things were going on. It was their policy not to. The active, uh, the average active shooter only takes a matter of minutes, maybe um, 12 minutes, and most end in less than five minutes. Average police response time is about five minutes. They're really good at it. But the average SWAT team response you got to guess, 50 minutes, some longer, some a little less. But they're all over town. You know, they have to get together to put on all this stuff, and then they have to assemble, and they have to drive across wherever they are to go there. The police are usually there fairly quickly. So the question he put is, how are you going to get along for five minutes in a situation like that? Maybe that would be a good thing to think about. One of the things they mentioned that, It's when people hear the sound of gunfire, often they're in denial. They say, oh, that's firecrackers or something. No, you recognize it for what it is right away. They mentioned that there are three reactions to danger. They are flight, fight, and freeze. Well, the first two are okay. last one, not so good. They used to say, yes, get down right away. They said, no, don't freeze. Freeze is something that you don't want to do. You want to do something. And to tell you what you might do, they gave us what they call the ABCs plan, ABCS. Avoid, barricade, counter, and survive. And I'd like to take this time now to go through just a few of these things so that you'll understand them. Avoid. You have an exit plan. You're not thinking about going out right away, I know, but you know where all the exits are in this auditorium. You should know anywhere you go. One over here, there, one over there, and one back there, and one back there. I hope you know those things. Another is immediately create distance. If there's a bad guy down here, you want to get over there. Because if someone is close, that's a, you know, that's a very large uh, presence right in front of me. But if someone is farther away, it's much smaller. You may want to be moving. You want to create distance between you and the person and move. They talked about cover versus concealment. Concealing is not so good behind the curtain, but having cover can protect you. They said, please don't pull the fire alarm. It just confuses everybody. Call 911 when you're safe as quickly as you can. 
and then notify <coughs> the police of your, of your location. <coughs> the second one, B, is barricade. You can go into a room. There are classrooms here. There are places you can go. You go in and lock the door. If you can't lock it, then you create, push things up against the door, things that would slow the whole process down, that would maybe cause a person to go somewhere else. You maybe turn off the lights. You find secondary exits. And then you wait for law enforcement if you're in a safe place. Find a safe place to do it in. The other is counter. Counter. Try not to do just nothing. Do something. Take some action. Get moving. Get loud. Do something. But move away from him. Take action. There might be items to throw at the person. And if you have the opportunity or must, tackle the gun. Tackle the gun. And if one man's doing it, I expect there will be a half dozen on the guy immediately who's doing that. Don't just let one person cope with a bad guy. And then survive. We are to struggle for our life in that situation. Shift your emotions from fear to um, thinking of how you're going to deal with it. There are first aid here. We're people. We have people who are skilled in first aid. Um, they need to be able to do that, to be able to use a tourniquet, to use things, whatever is necessary to help people. And once again, I'm talking about church, but this is good for everywhere that you may go. There's a new police procedure, a new police procedure. I was interested to hear that. It's locate, isolate, and stop the threat. Now, here's what's going to happen. When the police arrive, what you do and don't do is very important. When the police show up, they want you, first on the list, to understand what you will see when the police come in such a situation. This is going to be your average police officer male or female, they're going to come in. They may be just as frightened as you are. And they're looking for one thing, one thing, a gun. Okay? That's what they're looking for. When the police come in, you want to have your hands empty. That's a very good idea to do that. What you don't want to have is something in your hands, like maybe your cell phone. That's not so good. Because that could confuse a police officer, and it has in the past. So empty hands. Avoid sudden movements. Police officers running past you. Oh, not so good. We want them to move like slow and easy because we don't want to alarm them or cause them to do something. Then when the police are here, avoid or there, avoid screaming and yelling. And because that just confuses it a little more, and you will be searched for weapons. Sometimes people, when they file out, oh, that was terrible, I was searched for a weapon, and I'm a good person. Well, sorry, they're going to search everybody. Because the shooter, there could be a second one or an accomplice, might be wearing a necktie. You don't know. You don't know what that person is going to be doing. We won't go into it today, but there was a lot more information and training for church ushers and security people. They will be picking up on this, and Mr. McNair and Mr. DeSimone will be taking care of that. I should mention again that this is being done by houses of worship all over the Charlotte area, and I suspect, given all of the nonsense that's been going on around the country as well. So summary of point number two. A prudent person thinks ahead 
thinks ahead and avoids danger. And often thinking ahead avoids some training and some readiness. Thinking ahead. These procedures, as I mentioned, are valid for both church and public areas when you're out around about town. Point number three. Point number three is situational awareness isn't just for physical matters. You know, I get a variety of reports at headquarters that I keep up with. I get economic reports and financial reports. It's an interesting geopolitical papers that tell about world events that are going around from a more detailed point of view than you get on the news. And one of them from time to time gives security updates for people that travel. It tells you how, to, if you're going to international areas, how to be careful, what to watch for. One of the things they emphasize over and over, they call it situational awareness. Situational awareness. So you don't just think about where you're going or what you're doing or what's coming next. You're aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of your situation. A simple idea, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't do that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 13. We have a need for spiritual situational awareness. Spiritual situational awareness. Because we are subject to attacks by an adversary of a spiritual nature. The one that's generating the physical attacks. A prudent, begotten son of God has eyes to see and ears to hear. And they think ahead to avoid dangers of a spiritual nature. <clears throat> Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is a very familiar scripture. Maybe we'll bring out some things that are a little different for you this time. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Being able to withstand the attacks of the rulers of the darkness of this age, that is very desirable when they come. You want to know something else that's desirable? Avoiding them in the first place. That's good if you can. What if you could see ahead and foresee some of these things and prudently avoid some of the spiritual attacks that we suffer? Now, there's not a lot on TV I like to watch, but I remember, um, this is a long time ago, one of these wildlife programs on Africa. It was very interesting. The narrator was talking about various predators in, in Africa, the big cats, and that they have a circle of attack. A circle, I didn't know that. For instance, there's a cheetah. Cheetah is what, it goes what, 50, 60 miles an hour, but not very far. See? So let's say you're a gazelle, and you're going along just minding your own business, and there's a cheetah watching you. The cheetah is going to make a determination is whether when he starts running at the gazelle, that gazelle is going to start running away. Will he catch up with that gazelle before he runs out of gas? And that depends on whether or not the gazelle is within his circle of attack. Outside of it, he's not going to make it. He can't catch him. Inside of it, 
The gazelle is in trouble. The cheetah knows, but does the gazelle. That's how the cheetah gets lunch, because there's gazelles out there that don't know. Well, the lion is the same way, but his circle of attack is narrower than that of the cheetah. He can't run as far as the cheetah can, or not as fast. So he has to, the gazelle has to be within a lesser uh, area, a more narrow circle of attack. Interesting one was the leopard. The leopard is a much smaller cat. He's camouflaged. Leopard's not fast like a cheetah or powerful like a lion. You know what the leopard relies on is stealth. Stealth. The leopard waits until his prey gets within a very short distance, maybe just a few feet away. He's up in the tree. Nobody's watching. He's in this bush. Nobody's watching. He's camouflaged. And all of a sudden, he's there. Before you know it, if you're an antelope or a gazelle or another animal, he's on you. He has a very narrow uh, circle of attack. Turn to First Peter, verse five, chapter five, brother, and verse eight. First Peter, chapter five, and verse eight. <clears throat> well, the old adversary seems to have a circle of attack also. And you want to stay out of it, like a smart gazelle. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, vigilant rather, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know whom he devours? Those who are within his circle of attack. Be situationally aware. Stay outside of this particular lion's circle of attack. We must be situationally aware of those spiritual hosts of wickedness that we just read about, and what they're doing, how they're operating. Let me just give a couple of examples. and just This will give you some examples. You can develop this more on your own if you would like. Here's some, a way to spot one of these attacks. Feeling some resentment. Somebody just... That guy blowing his horn at me, ah, boy, you know, I'd like to do something. I'd like to whatever. Somebody did you wrong and you've been resenting it a lot. Ask yourself, where did that spirit come from? Is God's spirit one of resentment and anger? No, it's the adversary. That's whose it is. He's resentful all the time. He's absorbed by it and likes to broadcast it as the prince of the power of the air. How about some lust? Some inordinate desire. You know, the adversary has this with him. He has this inordinate desire all the time. And when you're feeling it, that doesn't come from God's spirit. You have to be able to identify it. Maybe some coveting the same way. You know, the old adversary will say, yes, you deserve that. You deserve that. You're being denied what's rightfully yours. You should be resentful. You should uh, feel like that's yours. It's, if someone's withholding something, that's yours. God's Spirit doesn't do that. How about a grudge? Oh, grudges. Now, that's great. I've known people who could nurse a grudge for years. They would, not in the church. Maybe there might be one or two running around. But in the business world, sometimes people say, don't get mad, get even. And they'll wait for years to do it. They'll nurse a grudge for that long. God's people don't do that. You know, the offense may be real and be wrongfully made. And you may be the real victim of an injustice. But what are you feeling? What are you feeling? If you want to be situationally aware spiritually, you have to look inside. Because that's where it's going along. 
you have to be spiritually aware of the feelings that you're having for things, particularly when you're feeling down and angry and resentful and anything like that going on. You have to be aware that you're within the circle of attack. He can use that to attack you spiritually, the old adversary, the roaring lion. Ask yourself, does God's spirit make me feel this way? Or does this feeling characterize a very different spirit? Remember that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Always remember that God is merciful. He is forgiving, tender-hearted, forgiving towards us. And if we are to have his family characteristics, we need to be that way also. We're going to be in his family. We have to have his spiritual resemblance in that regard. Our Father in heaven does. So summary of point number three. We must be situationally aware of nearby activities, of principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Be aware of them and then avoid them. So ultimately, of course, I want to emphasize this, our protector, our high tower of strength, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is our protector. He is our healer. He is the one we rely on for everything. He is the one we pray to for safety. He is the one to whom we pray for to live our lives peaceably and with Um, without harm and without difficulty. But he tells us in his word also to be prudent. He wants us to learn to be that way. So we should be innocent as uh, doves, but wise as serpents, wise, prudent in what we do. If we do that, then we don't have to be anxious about the perils of this world. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 27, is about peace. John chapter 14 and verse 27. Christ warned us, the same Christ who told us the things that may come upon his church and will come upon the church in the last days, also said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So let's trust in God with all our hearts and lean on his understanding. And while we do so, let's deal prudently with both physical and spiritual perils. God gives us spiritual peace in our lives, and in the future, the whole world will have physical peace in God's kingdom.